If you'd like to get involved with Shoreditch Radio, or if you run any local projects or events, please contact us at info at shoreditchradio.co.uk. Esky boy. Dano. Outta all my people. Hello, we're Beanbot. Hi, this is Dean from Lois and the Love. Uh, this is Roman from Breton. I am um, Adam Pike. I'm Orlando from the Maccabees. I am Colin Peters. I'm Lewis from Chapel Club. Uh, hi, this is Guy from Zulu Winter. Hello, this is Carl Barat. Oh! Hey, this is Rita Ora, and you're listening to Shoreditch Radio. Yes! now about to enter a bizarre world full of strange imaginary people living fake lives in a city some of you may know but none of you will recognize welcome to Lester welcome to the late night niche but be warned you enter at your own risk the niche is a place where reality is exaggerated and imagination is warped into forms which disturb distress and delight it is the place where we live welcome everyone shoreditchradio.co.uk Hello and welcome to Late Night Niche. It's 2016. I'm Joe Stevens. I'm James Kruber. And that was a horse neighing. Yeah, welcome and enjoy. Um, we're one man down this week. Uh, our former comrade Chris Marshall has departed these lands. Is it some sort of man flu, I think? I believe so. It's something quite petty and nothing, but... He'll be around next in next time we are live on the airwaves. So and we'll uh, be making an appearance from his phone for uh, our regular feature. Life is amazing. Um, but up this week we've got pop song of the week, which is next. We've uh, we've got a film review, which is actually a bit bigger than usual. It's like an Oscars roundup, um, giving our take on the latest news from the film and entertainment industry. Yeah, we've all seen we've seen quite a few films that are uh, up for awards as well. Um, Got your album review? Yeah, Bill Ryder Jones with the album is called Where the Fuck Is It? That's an interesting title. It's called West Kirby County Primary, which I'm looking forward to discussing. We have Life is Amazing later on, and we also have a wide and eclectic range of music, which we're going to start off to this week with Joe Stevens, your pop song of the week. Yeah. Would you like to introduce it? It's the 1975, it's a new release, and. Yeah, reminded me of a, of a band. 
I once knew, but onto that later on, I believe. Exactly. Shoreditchradio.co.uk. Was the sound by 1975. I quite uh, liked a, it. Uh, yeah, I'm like, I don't listen to a lot of like new pop music, so it's like almost after I have to go out into the ether. Um, <laughs> but I found this on Spotify's new releases, which is always a good way to start. It definitely is, yeah. Um, and so I found 1975, the sound. I oh, know a bit of 1975, the first album. Was There's a guy with the weird, the hair. Yeah. yeah and they wear leather jackets and they look really cool and like. Exactly. Come like the charlatans. Yeah, like everything I kind of want to be, but not really I am ever going to be, if you know what I mean. But you know, if you were a, if you were in a band who were able to sing like this <laughs> and the sound. Um, and it reminded me of a, a band that, you know. They were not meant for this earth. Maybe not. But, you know, we... They're for the stratosphere, Joe. Stratosphere. The last kids play outside and... You know, they, they may feature on a later show. But yeah, that's what struck me about it and mm. how... Indie pop. Very, very indie pop and how... Kind of the... It's almost like the excesses of the kind of 2004 to 2007 indie generation. Fall. It was the fall, It was the I'd fall. Say. Well, yeah, but that's how, like... When you reach, when a particular genre of music reaches its, its zenith, its zenith, it produces loads of kind of really mediocre stuff gets yeah. in there. Um, it's like hip hop music and rap today. It's like hip hop like, and um, EDM, as people call it. And like, what the fuck is Tiger? Like, uh, exactly, a respected member of society. He wouldn't be if that didn't dominate like today's charts. Yeah, and that's another thing I found when I went on the charts. Like, it's all one type of music. It's all gangster, gangster, gangster. Kind of gangster and kind of like just that vibe. If it's R and B, it's just that ideology. Can I say yeah. that? Yeah, the you ideology. Can. Ideology is a strong it's word. All it's all like it's all They're vacuous. nothing. They are exactly. nothing. But now we have something that does mean something to some people. We have two songs now coming up. We have Joy Division with Dead Souls, followed by Wycliffe Jim. Yeah. The Presidente of, of Haiti. Yeah, and his um, <laughs> cover of Wish You Were Here. It's a Pink, Pink Floyd. Floyd. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's interesting. So, hopefully you enjoy these songs.
So that was Wycliffe Jean or Jean? Jean, I think it's, I think I think it's French. Haiti is a French-speaking yeah. nation, so yeah. Wycliffe Jean. My apologies, my French fans out there. We wish you were here. We have many French fans. Yeah, we're huge in huge. Europe. Enormous in Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> so I wish you were here, the Pink Floyd cover, and the song leading into that was Joy Division with Dead Souls. Um, this point in the show, I know it seems like a lot of people are rattling on, not rattling on, because it seems like there's just cause and there's just reason to talk about. We talk about the recent like casualties in the world of entertainment, film, music, giants. I'd say giants who have set their way apart. They've set themselves apart from mortal men, if you know what I mean. They like have enough a legacy, enough of like an influence on society and culture. That sets them apart and is warranting a discussion about them. Oh yeah, I definitely say. And you know, the one that we're all thinking about is Mahatma Gandhi. Is Mahatma Gandhi <laughs> and his recent passing um, <laughs> is uh, David Bowie and his you know shock. Like you know, obviously it, it was. I imagine a slow process as cancer always is. But you know, he didn't announce it at all. And just a few days after his 69th birthday, which coincided with his album release. Um, Black Star. Black Star. Get it in iTunes now, guys. Is that all? Yeah, just listen wherever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, he passed away and he was 69, which isn't actually that old. No. At all. And I I listened to quite a a pertinent interview with him and he was saying, and he was writing a song, I know, it sounds like I can't remember the song was, but he had this epiphany and he realised, you know, about how mortal he was and he was saying, to this interview and I, I don't you know I don't care about aging I don't care about my body falling apart but it's the very real possibility of death yeah. and not being around anymore that kind of scared him um, and, you know I don't know obviously no idea what it was like at the end but I find that that was really quite pertinent but the thing about Bowie that I think is so amazing is that he was always willing to push the envelope. To push so the envelope. Speak. And what a lot of people said about him, what I thought was interesting, is that people say, oh, he was a chameleon, but was he though? Because chameleons adapt to their surroundings. No, he, the, he his surroundings, surroundings changed to him. Yeah. He was the one who pushed the surroundings onwards into different directions. Exactly. Like, he got music. He took on different like kind of personas, different like characters and stuff like that. You've got Ziggy Stardust. You've got the Finn White Duke of Insane. And then you've got like... He did a fucking drum and bass album like, yeah. called Earthling and things like that, which you wouldn't expect from like a normal musician nowadays to be like, you know what, I'm going to push the boundaries and go different directions. But he did that. He pushed the boundaries in fashion. When guys, guys in the, like, there was a, actually Arsene Wenger said something very interesting. He said that post-war, he helped shape man and the way they are. Like, Men are very stereotypical, and but he was like wearing feminine clothes, wearing makeup. Yeah, this like, whole androgynous thing he yeah. carried throughout his entire career. People were just like, "What? What quite is going on here?" Completely. But he didn't care, and I think that's a lesson that people have learnt today, and they're trying very hard to like kind of replicate, but aren't able to do it because it's everyone's trying the same thing. So it's almost like a respect to the original kind of like forefather of this guy who stood up above the crowd and was like, I'm going to be different. I was talking to a mate of mine, actually, um, recently, and he said that he would like to be more like Bowie because you see so many people like trying to do different things, but he wants to forge ahead in his own career and stuff like that. Exactly. And that's what Bowie did. And, and he's he was always willing to do new, to experiment, to do new things, and he never wanted to settle. And if it worked, then great. But if it didn't work, he was willing to, you know, 
right, fine, scrap that, try again, try something new. And I guess, you know, he was lucky that he had the capability to do that. But at the same time, I think people forget that, you know, he didn't just kind of stumble upon success, like some people do. He worked, worked at stuff, it yeah. until he had his first hit in 69 with Space Oddity. Um, but, and, and again, with, you know, he, the fact that when him and Nile Rogers made the Let's Dance album, they were putting themselves out on a limb. Yeah. You know, Nile Rogers you know, wasn't particularly accepted in the music community. You know, he was known as the kind of a singer in chic. Um, but they, again, they paved like a whole new way for music with that. And he did I mean, that throughout his career, though. Throughout his career. And, you know, maybe he went a bit downhill kind of post-80s, but he was always willing to do new things. And I feel like a lot of artists find that incredibly hard because their fans are always asking... Fans are very fickle, and they're like, oh, that wasn't... They're either like, oh, that wasn't the last album, I don't like it, or, you know, it's just too similar to the last one. But people almost accept it with Bowie. They, like, kind of appreciate his transition through the stages of his kind of career. Exactly. I don't know... Like, there's some Bowie albums that... He can't even remember. He couldn't even remember himself. He recorded making. eleven in the nineteen seventies. Imagine doing it. It's not one of these people nowadays who someone else writes the music, someone else writes the lyrics, and they just turn up, look good, and sing. It was all hit. It was like it was all him. Imagine doing eleven of those. Station to Station, which is often regarded as his best album, was written on a diet of cocaine, red peppers, and milk. And like, <laughs> that's doesn't incredible. that set you apart from that's like normal human beings? Like, he existed like that, and so I think, yeah, David Bowie, Starman, out there, respect, respect. You you did a lot for the world, and we were saying I just want to get this in there. This show is the late night niche, and few people, if anyone, have done as much for the niche as David Bowie. So. So that is a tribute from the late night niche to mm, David Bowie. To David Bowie. For la- accepting, for making it acceptable so us wankers can speak on the radio and talk whatever they want to say and play whatever they want to do and just be like happy yeah. and accepting. So thank you very much, David Bowie. And also, Big Alan Al. Rickman. <laughs> Alan Rickman. <laughs> the original um, bad guy. Yeah. Also 69, also died from cancer with a kind of battle that he didn't make public at all. Mm. That came as, as quite a shock. Um, and really quite um, really quite saddening actually yeah, he was as I said the original baddie the original kind of Euro villain mm. he set the precedent on that with Die Hard Hans and Gruber he, Hans Gruber he stole the show from Die Hard yeah. like uh, fuck Bruce Willis yeah Bruce Willis is nothing yeah <laughs> and has just always been a part like you will have kids today kids for years and years will always remember Alan Rickman and I think exactly. that's a beautiful kind of like and he has that... People think of him as a villain, and people... He entered the cultural zeitgeist properly with Harry Potter and Snape. But, um, actually... And I think I can say this. So, I remember talking about him ages ago, obviously before any of this happened, with um, our co-host, who's no longer here, struck down by man Marshall, and he was like, oh, yeah, my mum really fancies him. Because, you know, he's in things like Sense and Sensibility. Yeah. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Prince of Thieves. Kevin Costa. <laughs> truly Madly Deeply, where he was like a... Sex a, god. Yeah, but, but, but he was like a love interest because he had, he had a surprisingly big range. Mm. And he went into acting very late, actually. In a, well, comparatively, really? yeah. He kind of was doing bits and bobs in his 20s and then 
decided to go kind of audition um, for RADA and did and then won their most prestigious prize and then then got into films and it was like 30s that's quite cool. late for an actor yeah very late so big up to Alan Rickman someone who again he was uh, pushed the envelope again a year I, I, and was always entertaining as a villain yeah and was always I think actually quite um, self-aware I yeah. think of, the, of his image and willing to set himself up with stuff like Galaxy Quest as well so Paddy yeah. is hilarious I want to see that yeah now. but now we have LCD sound system with who are reforming so you also oh, got Death yeah. and Rebirth with Never As Tired As When I Wake Up really good song I hope you enjoy Wasted and complacent And you're about the same But still So that was LCD Sound System with Never As Tired As When I Wake Up. And now we are on to our film section of the show, where we're going to kind of have an Oscar roundup with our, like, kind of... Me and Joe have both watched... Quite, Joe and I, even, better grammar, yeah. have watched quite a lot of films recently that are up for Oscars. And so we're going to have it's a little discussion. Season. Yes. It's war award season! It's Weinstein time! Yeah. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein! But yeah, so we're going to talk about our predictions and our kind of ideas about where the 2016 Oscars will be uh, situated on whose mantelpiece, I think, is the best. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, Oscars are as much about predicting about what people will vote for as what's actually the best film. Yes. Um, and some of my favourite films haven't been nominated, actually. Are you quite annoyed? A little bit. So what was your... F- name me... Give me three films that you would have thought should have been nominated. Okay, for Best Picture... And it's in that up there for best animation, but Inside Out I think should have been up there. Good call. I thought that was brilliant. That'll be pretty breaking the mould for an animated film. It would, to be but the films have been nominated for it before. Though. Has it really? Yeah, I think Up was nominated. And Toy Story Three was nominated. They didn't win, but they're nominated. It was recognised that there were more than just within their own category. Yeah. I think that's important. And you know, documentaries often find it quite hard to break into that. Um, I review as our first review on Shoreditch Radio. Love and Mercy. Yeah, I thought Paul Dano might get it, considering he got um, he got a nod at least for, Globes. for best supporting. I, I'm surprised he was best supporting because he was a much lead actor as John Cusack. Yeah. Um, Sometimes they do that just so they can get like I know Scarlett Johansson for Lost in Translation. She was probably in more of a co-lead than actually, yeah. but she got a supporting. So it's Anthony more like, Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs was in it for 15 minutes, but won best actor. He was a G in that film. Right? He was, yeah. His presence was throughout the whole film, but. Screen time is actually in it for like Nothing. 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, disappointed Love and Mercy didn't get more of a shout out for like... Best for, music or something like that. For music, for acting for either of them, for best picture, directing, you know, cinematography. Yeah, some really interesting mm. um, camera work going on in there. So disappointed that didn't get more of a shout out. Actually, I was going to say Brooklyn, but I think Brooklyn's done alright actually. Sicario. Sicario. Could have got two acting nominations. Yeah, Emily Blunt I think should have been and... Surely Benito Del Toro as well mm. should have been. 
different performances. I thought Emily Bunce was more like subtle and it was like harder to put out there. Um, Benito Del Toro kind of stole every scene he was in. But in a very kind of quiet way that was understated, I think. Yeah, just a sense of menace. Yeah. Nothing kind of predictability. Yeah, but you knew something wasn't quite right Mm. with him. So we're getting up to our ideas of who will win. Yeah, but should we do our little roundup? Yes, what would you like to say, Joe? So I'll go with what I saw first. That's up for this kind of stuff. Um, I haven't read already because I've already reviewed Brooklyn. Um, And Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs as well. Michael Fassbender's up for that. And Kate Winslet. Is she Kate Winslet? Yeah, Kate Winslet's up for Best Supporting. Yeah. Um, I saw The Danish Girl. And I, you know, I had relatively high hopes for this. I'm a big fan of Eddie Redmayne. I like Tom Hooper as well. Do the King's Speech and Les Mis, both films I'm fans of. I think he kind of handles things quite sensitively. Yeah. I think he's, he's an actor's director. Um, but if I'm honest, I was I was quite disappointed by it. I felt like I never really. I, I felt the film was quite flat. Really, was it quite Hollywood esque? Like kind of. Do they glorify it rather than actually like get into the nitty gritty? No, I, don't, I didn't think... I think they got tuned to nitty gritty, but I didn't think they glorified it at all either, really. And I think... And it's called The Danish Girl. And I, for me, The Danish Girl was Alicia Vikander's character who was uh, the wife of Uri Romain. So it's about a guy called um, Einar who's a Danish painter, successful Danish painter, and his wife, uh, Gerda... And I, so one day, uh, Gerda is painting, um, and her friend, who's also modelling for her, is late. So she gets Einar to put on these stockings, um, just to kind of model for it, so she can paint it, and just kind of realises um, in that moment that maybe he... Enjoys the feel of silk on his legs. Yeah, and the look of it, and maybe he, he realises that he actually should have been a woman all along. That's about that journey. Um... Something I heard about it actually made me kind of realise. I don't know if it's a fault, but you basically see it from Gerda's perspective, and you see it from an outsider's perspective, and kind of what's going on with him. And it's sensitive, but I never really felt like I connected. Okay. Um, with Einar slash Lily, um, and I, I, it's hard. I thought Lissy by Candle was the best part of it, but I, I personally was disappointed. Okay. Well, he's not going to win Best Actor. He's not. And people are talking about, is he going to be the first one to do it twice in a row since Tom Hanks? He won't be. Because there's only one man who can take that, and we'll be taking it this year. And I watched The Revenant on Friday night, the day of its release, and I can say that everything it's been, the way it's been kind of put in the media is this kind of like, not groundbreaking, but kind of like something a bit new, something a bit like my God, mm. like, fuck me, this guy is, like, made of a genius art film, but also, like, it's going to appeal to the mainstream and stuff like that. And it does that. It does that with spades. Like, I know my parents went to see it, and they said they really enjoyed it. And it's so... Artistically, it's beautiful. And it speaks for itself in that sense. And the storyline kind of... It just constantly shows the power of nature and the way it is. And you kind of just have to take back. And I sat there after the film and I was like, wow. It's, it, I was like, I was going to listen to music on the way home, but I was like unable to do so. I was just like sitting there, like I was just thinking about different shots. Do you like feel cold watching it? Yeah. There's like scenes where they almost try and break the fourth wall, but they don't. They're like, it's like you see his breath on the camera 
and it's like so real like it's almost like a documentary in mm-hmm. that kind of sense mm-hmm. and it's just the the power of like revenge and the wanting to like re- avenge the loss of someone who means dear to you and stuff like that and it's just it's very powerful filmmaking mm. and there's scenes in there which are like reminiscent of like directors like Terence Malick like the focus on detail there's a scene that reminds me of kind of like the work of Darren Aronofsky in Noah but this guy just it's just raw but is it pain porn because that's one of the criticisms I've heard pardon what did you say pain porn basically no. there's just like just oh what kind of trials can we put Leonardo no. DiCaprio through no it was almost like the, the, the trials he has to put through to get an Oscar but it's more than that it's like showing it's a realistic portrayal of a man like trying to find not just revenge but peace I think he's trying to quell like he fit I don't know it's hard yes to like trying to find him find where he's got to go in the world and it's just interesting and like some of the shots are beautiful it's just so like amazingly cinematography if they don't win cinematography it's like I'll cut my penis off and eat it in front of Joe Stevens. That's, that's eyebrows. L- okay, yeah, eyebrows. Like legit. It's it's stunning. It's it's a, a work of art, and they should be very proud of what they made. They're gonna make a lot of money out of it because everyone's gonna go see it. Uh, I'd recommend going seeing the cinema. It is a very cinema film because you can't get the sheer kind of. There's a shot where they're like watching like you could tell a film's good when like there's some shots and it's so silent you can just hear his breath and you can't even see him you can just hear his breath in this like wilderness and just beautiful like kind of snow lit, lit snow covered mountains and stuff and the whole cinema was silent and you're just seeing this like vastness and it's just it's incredible it's mm. it's really hard to kind of put into words how good that they made a film but he's got to win best actor although it's not I would say so- it's his best Say, so do you think he's do you think he's winning it for past achievement? Kind of like Scorsese in The Departed. It's almost like a build up of like lifetime achievement. Yeah, kind of like he's this film's really good. He performs it really well, but I wouldn't say it's like because there's not much dialogue. Yeah. So, but, but he's on screen for a lot. Yeah, he's on screen, and it's more like his like the what he went through. Good supporting performances. Yeah, Tom Hardy. I find Tom Hardy quite difficult to understand. Like his voice is very. Um, but was good in it. Gleason the Younger. Uh, Gleason the Younger, like rising star of the world, of movie world. Uh, he's going to do well. Will is quite good. I've heard it? he's quietly very good. Actually, yeah, look, there's a, a emotion. There's like a youthfulness to him that kind of like complements um, Fitzgerald's character in certain mm. bits of the film. It's quite well done. Um, but it is Leo's film. It's also the director and the cinematographer's film. So we'll move on from that but I'd recommend I think he'll win best actor best film Spotlight or The Revenant I think The Revenant do you think so yeah it's got enough like support and it's very kind of crazy like big cinematic Oscar film mm. they all kind of can get behind and finally I'm going to finish it off try and do it briefly uh, I saw Room this weekend which is directed by Lenny Abramson uh, and starring Brie Larson and she's basically kind of the only really kind of uh, her and the young kid whose name I'll look up after this and let you know later on the show because I can't remember. And it's kind of a film, kind of Fritzl or Kimmy Schmidt type thing where a woman is kidnapped um, and held for seven years in a room um, and has a child during this time. Whose child is it? It's the guy who's kidnapped her. 
and, and has a child. And it's about them and their relationship and how they kind of keep saying, but also the fact that it's, it's basically as much, because the book's from the child's perspective, as much from the child's perspective as they can. But it's about the mother, and it's about their, I think more than anything, it's about their relationship, and that's what makes it great. And the fact that the first half of the film, at least, is just in this one room, um, uh, but it's still, it kind of captivates you, and it's kind of, it's devastating and uplifting and beautiful at the same time. And Brie Larson, um, who plays, and she's in the credit, you hear her name once, her actual name, but she's in the credits as Ma, just down as Ma, kind of like Ed Norton's down as the narrator in Fight Club, you never really hear her mm. name. Um... And it's and she won the Golden Globe for Best Actress. Is she going to win drama. Best Actress? She may do. I I kind of I think like Kate Blanchett will do for Carol. I haven't seen Carol, but she's. You know, Penny's quite good. Yeah, and she's very good in it, and she's kind of Hollywood mainstay, and she probably deserves it. Yeah. But she's fantastic. And I, I saw her first in a film called Short Term Twelve, which Penny's really good. Friend of the show, Matt Goode, recommended to yeah, me. Yeah, I heard that. Um, she's very good in that. She's also in Trainwreck, which I wasn't as big a fan of. Um. This is a rising star. She is, yeah, and she's she's really really good, and it's very real. Like it's in the way that I know it's completely different in tone to Kimmy Schmidt. I'm a big fan of the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt Netflix series, but in the way that I think Kimmy Schmidt is t- quite real in the way that it's not all just kind of happy go lucky. After you get out, it's kind of adjusting to the world and how you feel and how you feel about the rest of the world having gone through your problems, mm. etc. And yeah, I thought it was. Really, really good. I, again, I'd recommend it. And no Idris Elba nominated for Best no. Supporting, Hashtag which you should Oscars have done. so white. Just like <laughs> David Olaway wasn't nominated for Best Actor. But it's because it's a Netflix film, as we discussed earlier. Yeah, we think it might be because it's a Netflix film, because it was released. And some cinemas actually boycotted it, because they weren't... They didn't, I didn't think they showed him in any cinema, Beast of No Nation. It was, yeah, it was a cinematic really? release as well, yeah. Um, the, because it was shown on... Um, uh, released at the same time as Netflix so like why do we even, why should we even bother trying to put this get on? money out of it yeah um, but I think they'll have to accept it eventually it's the way the film's going and I think they should you know that's kind of thing release it in the cinema at the same time because I want to see films in the cinema yeah. Room isn't a particularly cinematic film but it's still very immersive being in that big dark room with the big screen mm. and surround sound so yeah those are the films a bit longer than usual but we've enjoyed talking about them because we, we enjoyed the film. So I hope you will go and pay your admission and go see them. Um, now we have two songs. We have Common with They Say, followed by Joe Strummer, Mondo Bongo. Hope you enjoy. They say what's happening. We say the facts and then they lie. We come I'm the black pill in the matrix of saturated life. They say life is what you make it, so I wait quick on a spaceship so I can take it. It's high as the stakes get Shortageradio.co.uk.
So that was Joe Strong with Mondo Bongo. Yes. And the song leading into that was Common, featuring John Lennon, Legend, and Kanye West called They Say, which I hope you've enjoyed, because I really like that song. I like all three of those guys. <laughs> so, uh, and Con- we were talking about Oscars before, Common and John Legend won um, best, yeah, best, best original song. song. Um, so yeah, good for those two. So, we've had our first hour, and we've got the next hour, we've got our regular feature, Life is Amazing. Ba-da-ba-boom. We've got the. With what are we discussing in like Life is Amazing? Let's tease them a bit. Let's tease give them a little bit of a like, play on just, the nipple just of the listener. Just a little bit of a turn. Just get them, get them prepared. Yeah, but, you know. a little bit moist, but not too moist. <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm going to be talking about lobsters. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to be talking about uh, the corrupted blood incident. And that's 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 all I'm going to say. That's all you need to so know. you should be really wet by now. But um, we'll be talk- uh, got an album review later on uh, with Bill Ryder Jones' album West Kirby County Primary. And now, hope you enjoyed the second hour because we've really enjoyed doing the first hour so far. We've got Burial with Shell of Light. Radio.co.uk He's from the uh, I'm, not, I'm not dead. I'm just very, very, very poorly. Oh. With three berries. Stuck in the woods in East Sussex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sucking on ice cubes and, you know, having my feet rubbed. Are you actually having your feet rubbed? Yeah, Dan was kind enough to uh, help me out with a little foot rub. <laughs> I love getting your foot rub sounds intense. Uh, well, he's a pretty strong bloke, so he got, he got <laughs> the, the knots out and the little the little bits, you know. So, Marshall, we're that time of the show when it is life's amazing. So, prepare yourself. What have, you, what have you got this week? What What are you doing? Right, Joe, would you like to start? Yeah, I'll do my one first. It's a it's a brief one. I actually made notes on it, but I forgot them. So it's all from memory. Yeah. Um, well then. So this is something I stumbled upon. That I found out that this can sound weird, but theoretically, lobsters are immortal. Just take that in for what? a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, as they get older, they show like no no visible signs of aging. They show like yeah, no like no loss in appetite, no slowdown in metabolism. No slowdown in sex drive, no like loss of strength or anything, and they're always right. killed by some sort of like outside factor. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was going to say the, the way the way I kill them is put them in the water before it boils, and then heat it up around them. Yeah, but if they, <laughs> if theoretically they were just like 
plumbed along and kept on having like, enough food, enough they sustenance, survive. they would... Why did they just live forever? They would just keep on growing. Uh, eat, malt, repeat. That's the thing. So they... Was that what they get? even bigger, do they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's how you age a lobster, is how big they are. So the biggest... How come? How come nobody ever just bothered to like keep one just to find out how big it can get? Or is that like scary? So no, <laughs> this is uh, classified information, Marshall. This is what the, 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 the we need like, a lobster the size of like a living room. That should be too gnarly, yeah. basically. The Ministry of Defence are currently working on lobsters. There's a new weapon. So no, so they are I'm just, just like, thinking, What if there are lobsters like that already out there? So the biggest one they found is like forty plus pounds in weight. That's quite big. That's big, but there may well be somewhere like deep sea that's like a hundred, two hundred. <laughs> Can you imagine? Because uh, yeah. they, they grow in size and they like mould their shell and they like grow new shell. Um, but, yeah. you know, eventually they do die because, you know, the chances are, as any insurance man will tell you, something bad will eventually happen. Um, God bless. So, but that, that astounded me that theoretically, if nothing happens to them, lobsters just live. Just keep on living. That's crazy. Maybe they're like super, th- like kind of philosophical, f- philosophical. Do you think it's like I've seen some things about? Um, or maybe just like, just like I'm crazy. Maybe they understand. Maybe they understand life more than any other being. So they've been put at like the bottom of the food chain uh, to keep them grounded. Do you know what I mean? Like they're infinite beings to understand everything, but like to keep their feet on the ground and stop them getting big heads. Uh, you know, higher power put them as like really tasty yeah. bottom of the food chain. A constant delicacy. source of food. That's what they are. But that's an interesting one, Joe. Yeah. Are we moving? I like it. Yeah. Well, I have something for us all. It's called the Corrupted Blood Incident. It was in 2005, which is a glitch. I, I never played the game, but it was a glitch on World of Warcraft. I played it in my youth. I'm going to put it out there. I'm okay. going to admit it. Good for you. So Why not? I, kind of, I know a bit of the context around it. Which was a, it was a spell which drained right. and was a highly contagious um, depuff spell on players of the game. And okay. it, was, it was supposedly not not meant to last very long but it eventually and it happened to spread across the virtual world by way of a bug that was in the program and so it quickly killed lower level characters and changed the gameplay completely for this short period of time which everyone had to like go into quarantine yeah it imposed quarantines and players abandoning I didn't know there was like densely populated cities in World of Warcraft yeah they're like big cities like capital cities but like every kind of faction or like race as they call them yeah on World of Warcraft, um, where you know kind of vast like plagues where no one really is, but yeah, places where everyone so this goes, plague, to, goes to buy stuff and sell stuff. So this plague literally spread across this, like into little into the cities and stuff like that, and it attracted the attention of epid, epidemiologists. And it was like people were studying yeah, the reaction. Study yeah, people were studying the reaction of human beings, like obviously through like. Um, virtual like kind of players and stuff and the implication of how human population could react to a real world epidemic yeah I was reading about it and how people like um, you said how like it happens in real life that people will go in and rush into an area to try like and find out like, like journalists will rush in and try and find out what it's about about and then 
contract it themselves yeah. and rush back out again so and spread it that way the the certain um groups in america that have like limit unlimited funding are had decided to use role-playing games such as World of Warcraft to serve as an advanced platform for modelling the circulation and spread of infectious diseases and the reaction of human beings upon, like, and well, how they deal with it. That's a real thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What? There's just people in America who like are planning to like unleash diseases on. The no, in like in virtual, in like in like games like World of Warcraft and stuff like that. Yeah, to right. see how. It seems it- they, uh, like, it's interesting, yeah, but it seems to me that there's a problem with it being translatable to humans as far as like, actual kind of disease, like human disease is concerned. And that surely is that, yeah, okay, those like lower level characters and like all the people might be getting it and getting sick from it or whatever, but even when their character dies, they can then go on the internet and like tell people that their characters died of a disease, etc. They don't have like the same... Uh, like, you know, lack of communication and confusion, because you think, like, if that happened in human, like, society, you know, people wouldn't be going to work, there wouldn't be power in the grid, there wouldn't be, no, like, telecommunication. No, it was just, and say we've got Ebola or something. It was just the point of, like, merely testing people's reactions to, like, that everyone knew about this bug and stuff like that, it was just merely their reaction to, like, what was happening But they happening did it on the purpose. They yeah, they did it on purpose. Though. It was fascinating, yet accidental, they described it as. And it was just like, they were just merely testing to see how humans react to the thing that was affecting their game, effectively, uh, practically. So it's, I thought it was quite oh, interesting. It was interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, it is interesting. I'm just wondering like, how effective it is at actually like, predicting what people are like if it was like a proper disease. You know, like Ebola or something. Type. Well, we'll never know unless we all start. Until we really find out. <laughs> yeah, until we all drop anthrax and Ebola into the train system. And, Maybe. Um, I, think, I think we do know. You've got to read uh, Roses of Aeum. That's a, that's a pretty savage book. Roses about, of Aeum? Yeah, it's about the plague in this like village called Aeum. And they get like cut off from the rest of... Um, like every, everywhere that gets the plane he gets like cut off and, and put into quarantine and there are like certain people in the village that are basically immune and then they just have to bury everyone that dies shit intense yeah <laughs> pretty savage mate there's like five of them that get out of their life or ten of them out of like a whole fucking village <clears throat> right. but that, that was that was written in like oh fuck no just look it up that can be something that you do when I get off the phone <laughs> <laughs> Try not to. <laughs> I, love, I love that you're so sarcastic about it, James. <laughs> no, I, 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 you know, I love my lips. Are, are you making a joke that you do have a, a nervous disposition or you don't? I'm confused. No, I do have a nervous disposition. You mean you turn me into a hypochondric afterwards? I've got the plague, Joe, I have it. Shut up. <laughs> I don't understand. I need emojis to explain to me. Yeah, yeah <laughs> the death of the English language, if ever I saw one. Word of the year is a joke. The, the progression, I think you mean. Progression? No, it's a regression. How? Because people never spoke like this before. Why the fuck should people just use? Yeah, I know it's it's been done for around like people before there were words used like kind of faces and stuff and pictures to like you know that like cave paintings film we watched. Yeah, true. The baby yeah, original emojis. But in a way, they're like a way of communicating. So maybe they were. But then 
Well, were they necessarily though? We don't know that. They could have just been like something that somebody did because they were bored. Do you know what I mean? Like if you're like sitting in a cave in northern France or somewhere, it probably rains quite a lot of the time. You you got to stay out of the rain and do something in the cave. Otherwise, you you know you're gonna get wankers cramped. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's really the true. the constant issue of life. Wankers <laughs> Right. How well, would you avoid wankers cramped? The real disease. Well, thanks for that. Anyway, I, I appreciate that. It's brightened my otherwise somewhat dismal day. Well, yeah. I, I hope you're feeling better soon, and we'll uh, and hopefully your chair will be sat in once more. Once more. Exactly. So thank you. Well, this is life is amazing. I'm James Creever. I'm Joe Stevens. Uh, well, I'm Chris Marshall. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Have a good time. You too, mate. Until you next time. Who knows? <laughs> so another part of life is amazing. We're just going to bring you up-to-date news about how the Conservative government has slowly taken away our freedoms and our rights as human beings. I'm James Creep with the 10 o'clock news. <laughs> so the Supreme Leader Cameron and his cronies have decided what a good idea to further enslave the youth in this country by is is by increased debt. Wow, that's big words. Enslave the youth of this country. Well, I thought, you know, the way to get people to listen is to uh, say certain is words. Is to wild them up with fear. Yeah, exactly. Fear is what controls... Donald Trump, <laughs> that's how he's got <laughs> So I'm just discuss- discussing, obviously we're just out of university and I feel quite fortunate that we've kind of got out at the right time. Like Obviously we're mounted with huge amounts of debt, but maintenance grants for like lower income families and stuff have now are now hopefully not hopefully, but Whoa. I, I look like they're about to be replaced um, and t- scrapped and converted into loans. So, um, as we all need more cuts to rid the invisible woman that is our nation's deficit, because obviously all these made-up figures on the screen are sa- are helping us save on public spending. So fiat currency, yeah. as we discovered long, long ago. Yeah. And as we personally, like, unravel the mysteries of our time... After Richard Nixon got rid of the uh, gold standard. We all live in a fake world. Um, and basically, um, there was no House of Commons vote. Uh, there was in some side room in the Commons, and there was only 19 MPs invited. Well, over half of them were Conservative. And the SNP were only told about this on the day of the actual uh, vote about this. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Really quite... Joe, would you like to talk about your... Uh, yeah, um, so it's kind of, it's very kind of interpolitics, so it's political decisions made affecting politicians, um, but it's the Conservative Party's um, move where they, uh, again, you know, cut the deficit, as it were, you know, ostensibly, and the funding to opposition parties as a whole is being cut, uh, so that's Labour. Plus, the way the trade unions can donate to the Labour Party is being cut as well, which, you know, I think is uh, is an issue, how much control they have over them. But also, who donates to the Conservative Party is another one, and whether they throw hissy fits via a book when they don't get the Defence Ministry role that they wanted. Um, but he did write a good book. Write a good book. <laughs> <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> it's allegedly. all allegedly. Um... But also the the uh, maps have been redrawn, and so they're going to be less MPs. Yeah, the next. Oh yeah, they're changing the areas where changing the areas, and the Conservatives are going to do very well out of that. How are they doing that without like a cross party agreement? So they, it's, it's not done by kind of Conservative Party, but it's done if you get the right people in the right positions who are doing it, you can do well out of it as a party. The Labour did well 
out of it in the 90s when they got the right people kind of in the right infrastructure. Um, but it's done out as an independent thing and then voted on. But the Conservatives, in the way that the seats are redrawn, because Labour's vote is very, as they call it, efficient, where people who vote for Labour are concentrated in yeah. particular areas. Um, but people who are kind of on the right of the party, who kind of wouldn't be friends of Corbyn, people like Chukumana and Silla Creasy might lose out their seats. I don't mind him. I, I, well, the thing that bothers me is when people say, oh, you know, he should be... What I'm saying is they should stand should be, by their party. party. He should have run. And B, yeah, you, you stand by your party. Uh, I don't know how much good it's going to do them when they're just like, you know, I'm going to step aside and let it all fall apart. Then what are you going to do? Exactly. Because no one's going to trust you because you've, like, didn't show any backbone when the going was a bit tough. But yeah, life is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) On that fantastically upbeat news. But remember, lobsters are immortal. And that people are now testing what plagues could do to humanity via virtual games. So the world of Warcraft. This is add to Chris Marshall with the sport. (laughs) (laughs) So now we have Ellie Golding with On My Mind, uh, Metronomy Remix. It's actually quite a good song. So we just had Ellie Golding with On My Mind, the Metronomy remix, followed by one of my songs from my album of the week, Two to Birkenhead, by Bill Ryder-Jones, off his West Kirby County Primary album. Um, this album, I think, Joe, you'll really like it. I hope that you'll give it a listen yeah, afterwards. Um, it was released in 2015 uh, from the choral lead singer, who's also a frequent collaborator of both the Arctic Monkeys and the Gorillas. So you could say his indie cred is off the hook. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, going to say, like, like Lord of Indie. <laughs> I like the call. Yeah, it's a good band. Um, and so he's a singer-songwriter, old Bill Ryder-Jones, and he has taken his guitar and his style to a new kind of sonic spectrum, I'd say, um, with his more emphasis upon the band and the sound he can make with that, rather than the kind of the colourful psychedelic pop that is more associated with it during his time as the lead singer of the choral. So he's like kind of this album's got a more heavier, more muscular sound to it, where it's not losing that kind of vulnerability and the power that mm. he got with what his voice kind of can yeah. give, if you know what I mean. So I'd say there's quite similarities where you could often draw similarities with people like Elliot Smith, um, people like Nick Drake with their ability oh, with wow, the guitar. Okay. 
and like with their delivery of like emotional and intelligent lyrics that kind of like makes I don't know like I particularly enjoy stuff when they actually show their kind of song craft and their ability to like make beautiful music yeah so I, I really enjoyed it um this gentleman has had a lot of issues in his time. He suffered from a great deal of mental illnesses. Um, this album, uh, I believe, was written uh, when he was at home with his mum in Liverpool, and it gives it quite a personal and like kind of poignancy to his delivery and like, kind of the, a lot of the subject matter that's discussed, as I'll go on to say. So I'd say it's quite melancholic in its both in its tone and style. Um, I'd refer to the album as like kind of a, a memory album. It's like reminiscent of Ryder Jones' experience of people and places, and that kind of uh, elaborates his like strength as a compelling storyteller. Because you've got songs like um, Catherine Huskisson, which is like a humorous account about his experience of a life. So like you can have that humor, but also be quite like sad and stuff like that. Mm. And then when it goes, yeah, it, very true. And like I'm just gonna like look for the right word. Sometimes I kind of need a little bit of help, and you do deliver on those kind of times. Because uh, then you have got some of the times when it does evoke like a great deal of sadness and like poignancy. When you're like the, the, the kind of subject matter isn't that good, and like not good, but I mean like it's not happy or not like stuff mm. that sometimes you listen to a lot. It's like talking about like getting the girls and like living the dream and shit. And sometimes like maybe we need to actually like delve into it. The real yeah, issues of life. What actual real people deal with day yeah. to day. One hundred percent. And then you have got songs like uh, there's a song called Daniel on the album, which is about like the loss of a child, and which is like it's hard enough to put it into like uh, like words like the unfa- unfathomable sorrow like an incident like that could provoke on a person. Where he like delves into that Ryder Jones and he actually tries to like kind of show it to the audience and like leave it. He leaves a bit of himself in the song, mm. which I kind of appreciate because it's like. You want musicians to like, they've got an amazing gift, so it's like what they should put that, they should put it onto into oh, my no, ears and like listen. Mean, and do you know what I mean? I saw Documentary Amy a few weeks ago, yeah. and she said everything she's written is kind of about her, and she felt like she's lying otherwise because it's all it's all very autobiographical. Mm. Um, and I think that's I what he does, that. yeah. And it really like it's tender, and there's like a, like a side to it that. I don't know, like, the, the choral are very, like, kind of, like, life's... life's oh, yeah, just, like, happy. But this you is, like... Yeah, a beautiful song. But it's, like, this guy's actually gone into his the dark recess of his, like, kind of personal life and, you know, he's seen that and he's trying to show it to... and, like, play it. And I've, I find it really good. And he delves into that and he's, like, in his not very, like... It's not, like out there like constantly like mm. I'm a rock star but it's like very understated and mm. controlled but it's also very like emotional it's just it's beautiful it's very affecting it's a very affecting album like you listen to it and you're like wow this guy's actually like like lyrics is, are beautifully crafted and then there's the music that accompanies it so well cathartic would you call it yes do you like you've you've been on a journey but you feel better almost at the end that you've been through it all yeah I, I think it was I, I I think it was a really good album. I'd give it, I'd say, about four out of five. And I think it's kind of a short album review, but it's, mm. I think I've covered the main kind of points. The two songs I've chosen, Satellites, which is coming up, it's a bit more kind of emphasis on like kind of how I said it was more muscular sound. Mm, yeah. Whereas Two to Birkenhead is a bit more kind of like a love song in a way. And it's really sweet. And there's like beautiful, like kind of lyrics and wordplay. And I just think, 
I'd, I'd recommend it and I hope you give him a listen now and I hope I've described him well and done him justice because he does deserve uh, recognition of what he created because it's a beautiful piece of work. So I have now um, Satellites by uh, Bill Ryder-Jones and followed by that is Joe Stevens' Song of the Week. Oh, the uh, Goodnight Joe. Goodnight Joe moment. Hope you enjoy. UK. So that was Sifan Stevens with uh, No Shade on the Shadow of the Cross from his most recent album. Um, and it, it sounds quite similar to the album to the one you just reviewed. Um, and it's about, a lot of it is about uh, the passing of his mother who died a few years ago, but also kind of basically left uh, Sufjan's life when he was about four. Um, so it's kind of a, a bittersweet, but a little bittersweet, but kind of, Exploration of what she meant. His to relationship him. with his her. relationship with what she meant to him. It's called, the album's called "Carry and Level," and her name is Carrie, and where he's from is called Level. Um, and that's my favorite song from the album. Um, so, and it, it's you know it's intense. And we we've, we've played quite a bit of Sufjan Stevens on the show before. Back in We're always our, a big fan of Sufjan Stevens. John Wayne Gacy Jr., um, which is a song about the um, basically about clown murderer in Chicago, um, a guy called John Wayne Gacy. Who, um, like to kill people. Kill people, yeah. Yeah, took young men into his house and strangled them. And balls out with his hands. hands. <laughs> um, and he, but he also acted as a children's entertainer as a clown as well. Yeah, pretty fucking terrifying. Why didn't they make a film about that? It probably has been. I'll look it up. Um, <laughs> Clown murderers with Joe Stevens. But we've also had the one where Sir Ken Stevens is lost in a maze and sees a UFO. Something. Is it here? Oh, what is it? Uh, in Chicago, which is, we've played Chicago. We've played Chicago, yeah. Because it's like the go-to Sir Ken Stevens. But he's, he's he's a very good t- uh, songwriter, and another one of my favourites of his is um, "To the Widows in Paradise." Never heard of it. That's good. Look it up. Home. I'm looking forward to. I've Both. got music to listen to on the journey home. Yeah, and you two listeners as well. Yeah, engage your mind and willing to like educate. That's what we try and do. We try and like we've got enough music here. It's like 
You should see it every week when we like sit in the pub like trying to choose what we're playing. We've got fuck enough music to like. Mm. So Dundee Arms. Yeah, mate. Represent. Yeah. Um, I think we've got another song before we say goodbye. Yeah. It's uh, a song chosen by uh, our co-host. Fallen comrade. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, from his sickbed or deathbed or whatever you want to choose, he's chosen a song. I don't know what it's called. Something to do with outros. I don't know. It's, uh, it's Yeah, just listen. We don't know what it's called, but we're going to play he it. He said it was good to outro. And yeah. then we'll say goodbye and we'll play some... A little song just to finish you off, which mm-hmm. I hopefully will be quite poignant and be a good end to what I think has been a very good show. So here is Chris Marshall's choice. Shoreditchradio.co.uk Jazzy, yeah, Chris Marshall's song of the week. Still don't know the name of it, but it was a good song to kind of close up. Um, we've come to the end of another late night niche, uh, the first of 2016. Yeah, hopefully, not the last. Yeah, but I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Touch wood, but yeah. Um, Joe Stevens, I've been very, I've enjoyed your company a great deal today. Yeah, it's been a lot. pleasure. I'm glad we have all of us since we did the last show. Thank you, Dell, as always. Yeah, our producer, big respect. And uh, hopefully Christopher Marshall can join us next time. Or maybe not, if we decide to cut him. We've enjoyed our time just us two. And now <laughs> Chris free. Marshall is never doing it again. Um, but here's a song that um, you probably heard a bunch this week, as we've been informed by Dell uh, in the little interim period. But we thought it was, you know, the late 90s are doing their own kind of tribute. We're not, you know... We're not doing a tribute show, but, we, you know, we... Respect, we show our... Respect to our fallen yeah. forefathers, and uh, here's to you, David Bowie, and here's to you, the rest of the world. Let's, uh, and also here to here's to Iran. Let's just say that. To, like, I'm going to say it now. Here's to Iran. You've cleaned yourself up. Yeah, shook the dust, <laughs> shook the uranium <laughs> off your jacket, <laughs> and now. I'm sorry. Get just shook the uranium. Shook the uranium off your jackets. That uranium off your shoulder. <laughs> yeah. And now you can be a part of the Western world. The global community. But you've been banned by every other American every American business to do trade with. So uh, we'll see how long that lasts. A few companies. A few companies. Yeah. Just all the big ones. But yeah. Um, good night. Enjoy. See you Stardust. Peace and love. Enjoy. Guitar, jamming good with weather and gear.